Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Dave Sharma, welcome back to the Mentor Podcast, mate. Great to be here again, Mark. Thanks for having me back on on the podcast. Last time you were on the podcast in our different studios, um, you were pitching out to become the local member for Wentworth. Um, That's right. Off the back of um, long stays in Israel and various other places around the world. Um, how was the the last period been since 2019? How, how have you enjoyed it? What do you, what do you find out about being in the, the game of politics? Look, I've, I guess I've been in for three years now and my career before then was a, was a diplomat, as you said. I've really noticed it's a, it's been a real privilege to serve people in the community, but particularly during the last three years because there's been obviously a lot of anxiety and uncertainty and, and people have turned to their local representatives and MPs and whatnot for help in a way of navigating some of these huge challenges we've been facing, whether it's, you know, where to get a vaccine, how to comply with the public health orders, how to get support for your small business, how to get cash flow relief. Um, And it's, you know, you can help people through these things. I could help people through these things. And that was really satisfying to do to help people through what has been a, you know, unique and unprecedented and challenging time in, in everyone's lives. Did think of you a few times during the pandemic because I did see on your you, you're pretty active on your Instagram on your socials and I did see you during the lockdown period or not during the lockdown period but around those periods before and after lockdown sort of going around to various business owners and talking to business owners about you know I guess what their problems were but is it a situation where if a business owner says to you look Dave um, we need I don't know some form of relief either in tax or cash or whatever the case case may be, is it a situation that you, Dave Sharma, then can ring up the Prime Minister or the Josh Frydenberg, the Treasurer, and say, look, I've had this put to me, let's talk about it? Absolutely. I mean, I did this with all different sectors. I mean, with travel agents because they were hit sort of uniquely hard by COVID and I spoke a lot to the our tourism minister about a special program just to support basically travel agents and people in the travel industry, uh, but also, um, you know, other sectors in the arts, the creative industries where people, because productions couldn't be staged and people couldn't gather, a whole lot of people who work in in the arts and creative industries, um, I spoke to the arts minister about that and said we need something special for these people because these people were in some senses falling through the craps, cracks of the traditional programs like JobKeeper and JobSeeker and whatnot. Uh, and so, yeah, absolutely, I'll, I'll speak to the Treasurer all the time and the Prime Minister when need be and other ministers to make sure that um, what we were providing by way of economic support was reaching the people who needed it. So 
just, just explain to me, like, how does it work? Look, it's, uh, it works in all different sorts of ways. There are formal structures and informal structures. I can certainly pick up the phone or send a message to one of my colleagues in the government and say, hey, I'm hearing this from a lot of my constituents. And sometimes it's a business who's got in touch with me. Sometimes I've just gone past them and checked in on them and said, How, how's it going? And they've said, oh, look, actually, it's pretty tough. We're doing this. Uh so I'll then raise it with the minister, but then there's also other structures like there's a treasury and finance committee of the of our party in the parliament. Um, there's the big party room, which is when all of us, including the prime minister and the treasurer and all of our coalition MPs and senators, get together. And often you'll hear that someone will raise something that they're seeing in southeast Queensland, for argument's sake, and then someone else in WI say, "Yeah, look, I'm seeing that in my electorate too," and someone else will put their hand up. And you often find that there are variations of the same challenge across the nation and, and when you know the ministers hear that and the prime minister hears that they realize okay this is this is not just a one-off isolated issue this is a you know a structural issue we need to put in some place something to address it so you sort of use all the means you've got available to you the, the formal structures of the party the formal structures of the parliament but also my own personal relationships with each of those figures in the government to make sure that issues that need attention are getting attention doesn't mean that I'll always get the outcome that I that I want because obviously they've got to weigh up all sorts of competing priorities. But it makes sure that that view is always being heard. So there's no suggestion box, so to speak. Um, and I and I guess what you're saying is there's a whole lot of issues, like lots of different um, ministers and, and or members of parliament. Uh, flag issues in the community, take the issues to the, the various meetings that you were just suggesting or whether they might be in a committee, which you, you mentioned, and but it doesn't always get answered in your favour. What do you do then? I mean, are you the type of guy who then or type of person that prosecutes hard? You say, hang on, well, you should have done this. I mean, how does the argument work? How does the arm wrestle work? I mean, do you, do you say, okay, do you go back to your constituents and you say, look, I couldn't get that one through, sorry about that? Or do you press, press, press? I mean, what's the nature of your personality and the nature of your relationship with those who make the final call? Because yeah. the final call is up to the treasurer, I guess, and uh, treasury yep. in, in financial sense and to the and in terms of policy to the PM. Yeah. Look, so I guess um, I'm, I'm a persistent but polite advocate. So, you know, I, I'll – uh, if I don't get the answer I hope for, I'll respect the decision that's been made, but I'll continue to prosecute the case and add if there's a new data point or there's a new example or there's something that's happened overseas that's relevant to Australia, a model that we could use, I persist. So even just something we announced quite recently on Sunday um, in the health space, I had some people come and see me uh, almost over a year ago now who are type 1 diabetics uh, and there's a large number of them, about 200,000 type 1 diabetes sufferers across Australia and about three or 4,000 in my own electorate. Uh, and if you're a type 1 diabetic and um, you're able to access what's called a continuous glucose monitoring system, a CGM system, that basically allows you to monitor your blood sugar levels in lifetime without always having to go and um, you know, put a pinprick on your finger and do a blood test and whatnot. Makes lives so much easier for these type 1 diabetes sufferers. Under our old system, once you turned 18 or 21, you lost the government subsidy for that unless you were some concessional cardholder. And uh, if um, you, you went from paying about $390 a year for CGM devices to anywhere up to $5,000 a year, it was a big difference. So people came to see me and said, look, we think the government should be subsidising this throughout our lives for all people, um, it's going to cost come at a cost to the budget, but we think it's the right thing to do. We think it's the humane thing to do. I took that up last year. I had a no from the health minister. I took it up again. I had a no from the treasurer. I got together with some colleagues. 
Uh, I joined a group called the Parliamentary Friends of Diabetes Sufferers. We raised it again. We wrote letters. I raised it with the Prime Minister, the Treasurer, the Health Minister. Didn't come up in the budget in May and I was disappointed, but then just on Sunday we announced that we'd be doing it. And so sometimes, um, and it's a great result, and the people who came and raised it with me are so pleased and they know that I've been advocating for them on this issue for the last 12 to 18 months. And sometimes you don't get the answer on the first go, but you you persist and you make the case and you make the case stronger and, uh, you know, you can usually persuade people around to your way of thinking after some time. I, I wonder whether Dave Sharma has a particular affection for Dave Sharma at the Prime Minister and the um, Treasurer level. I noticed the Treasurer has been in your electorate uh, you know, about a month ago or so. I saw it on your Instagram yep. or somewhere I saw it. I, I saw Josh was uh, floating around. Bondi or something like that. I can't remember where it was in particular, but it may be because they're worried about um, one of the independents who's now put her hand up, uh, whose father, by the way, was, as I sooner recall, was either Attorney General or something like that of the New South Wales Liberal Party, which is a bit odd. Um, but anyway, she's got her name up everywhere and uh, I, I see her photograph everywhere, all over the joint, maybe because they're concerned about her putting pressure on your electorate or you in particular. It might have been that reason to give you a bit of support, but it could also be that there is a level of affection with Dave Sharma. So how do you go around garnering garnering interest, affection, respect, et cetera, with the decision makers at the top of your party? Because that's important for your electorate to know that Dave Sharma can get to see the Prime Minister. Done. Yeah. So that's an important thing. Uh, I'm a, it sounds trite, very commonplace. It's, 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 it is really important. It, yeah. It's a big difference between, you know, members of parliament and what, what level of access and influence Correct. they have within the government. So, like, for example, if an independent was there and, for example, let's say the coalition was in, in place, it's not going to be an open-door policy for that independent to walk into the prime minister or the treasurer's office and say, listen, um, we need this for, for my electorate because human nature is going to say, well, bad luck, you're not in my party. I mean, it's... They do take into account what happens in our electorate, you know, understand that. But let's just human nature. Let's just face it. Let's not play mm. games here. It's human nature. What is it that Dave Sharma has done to garner, let's call it weak word, bad word, favour? Yeah. It's not a really good word, but let's call it favour. What have you done? How, how did you become close to the PM? How did you become close to, close to the Treasurer? What was it? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm a diplomat by training and diplomats all, it's all about the exertion of influence, right? It's a, you know, people think it's about being polite and charming. No, it's, at the end of the day, it's about using all these tools to get what you want, right, as a country, as a nation. And so I focus on all the tools I've got from being a diplomat, which is really about relationship capital, you know? How do you make yourself indispensable or valuable to someone else or important to someone else such that they'll listen to your views and, and take them into account? Um, and for me, with this government, look, firstly, I've got a long-standing relationship with Josh Frydenberg that goes back two decades before either of us were in Parliament. So he's a he's a close friend and a and a, a mentor and a, a confidant as well. Um, the Prime Minister, I I helped win back a seat here in Wentworth and put it back in our column, which helped us retain government. We've only got a two seat majority, and my seat is one of those two seats. So that makes me valuable. I'm, I've shown that I can deliver something that's important to him, government. Um, and as a result, I've got an audience whenever I need it. Uh, and then beyond that, um, I focus on making my making sure I make a contribution to policy development in the parliament, to prosecuting our arguments in the public sphere, all these sorts of things which 
the government relies upon their members of parliament to do and do well. And if you do that, then people think, you know, Dave, Dave came out to bat for me. I've got to make sure that I back him up when he comes on my knocking on my door asking for my help with things. Yeah, so it's a two-way street. And yeah, like all relationships, exactly. 100%. Exactly. As you said, it's, it's about an appropriate use of influence in relation in relationships um, and but at the same time without being a use-up. And yeah. I think what people in electorate need to know is that in any electorate, I don't care where it is, whether it's Wentworth or banks or wherever it is, you know, the person you're voting for, you should really heavily, strongly consider does that individual or will, will that individual have influence in relation to policy going forward in a, in a party sense, assuming a party takes control of a government? Can I just switch lanes a little yeah. bit? I've heard some criticism of you. Um, and it's and it's sort of throwaway criticisms of you by radio journalists, and it's around this Catherine Deves thing. Is it, uh, you know the prime minister's captain's pick? You know picked up and Catherine Deves obviously had some sort of history where she's made some comments in relation to whatever it is. Oh, I know what it is. You know in relation to um, transsexuals competing against. In women's, women's sport, yeah. women's sport, yeah. and she's taken a position, and she's retracted some of her statements. It happened a long time ago, but her still her strong position right now, and I think it's Moringa or whatever her, her electorate is, um, she, her strong position is right now is that um, females should compete against females, males should compete against males, and anyone who's not neither one of those biologically can compete against each other. That that seems to be her strong position. Yeah. Yet I have heard other people say people like Matt Keane from the New South Wales Coalition and Dave Sharma, you're thrown in the same ring as uh, Matt, that um, you guys have a different view. Um, am I being correct here, or is the commentators being correct, or what? What's your position? Yeah. Look, so I, I don't. I mean, I, I've seen what Matt said, and I haven't said what what Matt's said. My view on this is, look, some of the things she said whilst prosecuting that argument, uh, and I think it's a legitimate discussion to have, should transgender women be allowed to compete in women's sports? Uh, And I think that's a complicated issue and it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all answer. And I'm not resolutely opposed to it and I'm not resolutely in favour of it. I think these things, by and large, need to be left to the sporting codes to figure out. In some sports, it, it might not, you know, make a it might not matter. It, that should be okay. But in other sports, where the fact that you've been, uh, if the fact that you're a biologically a male and went through puberty and then transitioned to a female will give you an undeniable advantage, a competitive advantage, or you know, strength and power and size that will mean that the women playing the sport, the biological women, would be threatened. So that's an important conversation to have, and I don't seek to prejudge that. But I think uh, some of the comments that. Catherine Deves made in the context of prosecuting that argument, I think were pretty offensive to people who are have transitioned, changed their gender, uh, or um, uh, uncertain about their sexual orientation or gender identity. And I reject those comments. I don't think I don't think this community of people should be denigrated or criticised or anything. They're having a hard enough time as it is, by and large, with identity issues and mental health issues. Um, and it shouldn't. Um, so I disagree with those comments. But the fundamental issue, I think. We need to have a respectful discussion about it, um, but that means you, you shouldn't be, you know, um, alienating one particular part of the community. So, I've been critical of some of the things she said publicly, and those things she has withdrawn and retracted and apologised for, and I think that's right. Uh, but I don't pretend that the issue of transgender women competing against other women in sport is an easy or a straightforward one. I don't have a ready answer for that myself. 
Okay, because it's, it's, you've got a, a couple of daughters, I think. Three daughters. Yeah. Three daughters. Yeah. Um, and uh, which is, you know, I find, and the Prime Minister has two daughters. Two daughters, I And um, I'm not sure about Josh, but. Uh, He's got a, a boy and a girl. A boy I and think, a girl. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess these things become particularly personal, particularly mm. relevant. I mean, at least you can sit back and look at them and say, well, hang on, I don't want my daughters to have to compete against somebody who's biologically a male. Or alternatively, you might say, I don't really don't care at the end of the day. Or. Maybe your kids, because I heard someone ask Zali Stegall the question, if you had been competing against a biological male but you didn't and you got fourth place, in other words, didn't get a bronze medal, how would you have felt? And uh, she deflected the question. She didn't answer it. But it sort of becomes really personal and it's a very complex, it is a very complica- complex and complicated uh, theoretical issue. It is, yeah. It, it doesn't affect the majority of the people. No, it's yeah, it's more a, a problem in theory than in practice. Yeah. It does exist on the, you it, know, here and there. It's a yeah. philosophical yeah. thing. It's what is your f- philosophy on it? Yeah. And I think everyone's entitled to have their own views, by the way. Um, but the question, as you just put it, I mean, I think that's probably the most important thing. Should the government get involved or should and or should it be the sporting body makes the decision? And I think what you suggest is the sporting bodies themselves should make those calls. Yeah, look, that's my view. And under legislation that we've already got, the Sex Discrimination Act, there is provision for sporting bodies and codes to say that we're going to restrict participation to only biological females or biological males if it's if it's for reasons of fairness in competition or the safety of the athletes and things like that. But that should be, I think, a code-by-code code decision and a governing body-by-governing body, governing body decision. I don't think this is – the government has given the tools, if you like, to sporting bodies to manage this issue and manage it in a way that protects their athletes and pre- preserves competition but is also sensitive to the rights of the transgender community. And I think we should leave it to that. I mean, the government doesn't need to be the arbiter of all these sorts of things. We should be creating the framework and letting sporting codes handle this. And look, the rugby's dealing with this, the AFL's dealing with this, all sorts of sporting codes are dealing with this. And by and large, they're handling it pretty well. So I think as a government, I'm not someone who says government should be involved in every aspect of people's lives. I'm quite the opposite. I say, you know, if things are working well enough, we don't need to get government involved. That's an interesting because I remember many years ago I went and saw Joe Hockey when Joe was the um, treasurer and this is a long time ago and, um, and I said to Joe, Joe, this, the government coalition was in favour and Joe was the treasurer and I said, Joe, mate, there's this issue within my industry, the banking industry, and I said, as far as I'm concerned, the government should jump in and get involved and, and do something about this. I won't sort of go into the deep details, but it was around about banking power, mm-hmm. the power of banks. And, and I remember Joe saying, we're the coalition, we're the Liberal Party, we do not in, get involved in, poli- in um, economics, we do not get involved in the way society rolls. We're a, a non-interventionist type organisation. And it's funny, the world has changed. That's like 10 years ago. The world has changed radically from here, from there. And I want to put this to you, and and, and I don't want this to become necessarily my prognosis, mm-hmm. but I want to put this to you. Your party, the Liberal Party, and in particular the PM and the Treasurer are saying, vote for us because we are very good economic managers. Don't vote for the Labor Party because they haven't managed governments or economies for a long, long time. And by the way, you just don't know what you're getting with this mob, okay? What I want to put to you is this scenario and and the treasurer would never put this scenario up because it's not a good look but but it comes out of the same result for me anyway i think 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. We've had an unbelievably good run during the COVID period economically. We recovered extraordinarily well after GFC. We, we, we killed it during the COVID period, relatively speaking, to the rest of the world. I don't mean in terms of vaccination. I'm talking about in terms of economics, yep. our growth, our job numbers, our unemployed numbers are fantastic, brilliant. But all of a sudden we have this unusual concoction that's brewing in the world and New Zealand's just recognised it like last week, the Reserve Bank over there recognised With inflation. it. Yeah. So we've got... I think we've got much worse inflation number going to come out in July for the June quarter yep. than we've ever seen before, one. Two, global growth is being – has slowed down. It has, yeah. Glo- gr- growth around the world has slowed down big time. Yeah, we've got this mad inflation number yeah. which sort of suggests that we're growing really fast. So that so we've got mad inflation, crazy inflation, global um, – Slow down when it comes to growth. We got war in Ukraine, yep. you know, potential geopolitical issues in Europe at least. Um, we've got we just come off the back of pandemic. We've got supply chain shortages, yes, um, which is causing a problem, um, and and looks like it's going to last for a long time. With inflation, there is a prospect of interest rates increasing, which is that's not a prospect. It's going to happen. It it's just a matter of what date it happens and how many we it happens by. Like New Zealand's put their interest rate up by. 1.25% yeah, since their low rate. They were at 0.25, they're now 1.5, which is like a big, big change in a six-month period. And they're a bit of a bellwether for us. Europe's putting rates up. UK's put rates up. US has put rates up. We've got a mortgage sector who's borrowed more money than they've ever borrowed before. And I can take it from me, I know that to be the case because I'm one of the lenders. Yes, yeah. Um, and that's starting to slow down again. And we've we've put a lot behind the property market. Like our, our we have put a lot behind what happens in the property market. Now, we've got an election. We know for me, I'm not here to blow smoke up anybody's whatever, proverbial, but I've heard nothing from the Labor Party about their policies. I do not know what their policies are. They're just saying nothing, unlike what Shorten did. Yeah. Albanese playing a pretty straight bat, he's saying nothing. What bothers me is if there's a change economically globally and that spills over into Australia in the next 12-month period, then we experience a change in government as well at the same time. Yeah. I, I would say for different reasons what Josh Friedberg says, but I would say don't make a change in government to a, to a voter. 
stay with what you got. You might not like Scott Morrison. You might not like some of the things he's done over the period of time. He, he's made a lot of mistakes, which he admits. But whatever you do, don't change because you could be driving us. We could be driving ourselves into an economic malaise, and we don't want to make it worse. Yep. With a government who doesn't know what they're doing or is not experienced at what they're doing, and it's like running a business. Yeah. Well, I I think so. I think there's there are a lot of risks out there for the global economy, and that means for Australia as well. We're a highly exposed internationally, uh, highly trade dependent economy. Uh, inflation is not the least of those. I mean, we seen last month's inflation figures in the US eight and a half percent. In Australia, it's running at about three and a half percent forecast to go up to I think four and a quarter percent in the budget estimates. Uh, Canada, the UK, Europe is running at about six percent. Uh, and we're also seeing growth slowing down. And, you know, my big worry is that the global economy might be entering like the period of the late 1970s, stagflationary period where you've got, uh, you know, low growth but high inflation. Um, and as we know from that era, if high inflation starts to build into wage demands and bargaining demands and union demands and whatnot, you get a wage price spiral kicking off. And the only way you kill that is with high interest rates. And which, quickly. And quickly, yeah. And that's that's tough. I mean, high interest rates put a huge... Um, I mean, that it's just like an emergency break that you're pulling, right? Like hurt business activity, they hurt consumer confidence, they hurt the housing sector, all these sorts of things. So we really want to avoid that uh, in Australia. We want to make sure that we um, manage our inflation, we manage wage demands so it doesn't feed into the inflationary cycle uh, and that we slowly pull the fiscal stimulus out of the economy because that's been – we've put a huge amount of fiscal stimulus in the economy in Australia and around the globe and that's what's showing up now in low unemployment and high inflation figures. So we need to manage, make sure we engineer a soft landing, if you like, from this period. And I think for that you really want an experienced government who has got an agenda, has told you what they're going to do um, versus an opposition that doesn't have much experience and is also not telling us what they're planning to do in government. They've said the things they're not going to do. They're not going to keep the size of government or keep the taxation proportion in the economy to 23.9% of GDP. That's something we've always committed to, that we're not going to um, increase the role of government in the economy. They won't commit to that. Uh, we saw through the pandemic that there are any number of measures that we said their time is up now. The opposition wanted to extend them, JobKeeper, uh, the job seeker supplement. Um, they wanted to pay people to be vaccinated, all these sorts of things. There was probably about 80 to $90 billion of new spending commitments they made just through the pandemic. Um, so I think when there's a lot of uncertainty out there, I think, um, and a lot of risk out there, you do want a trusted set of economic hands on the wheel and I do think that that's what we've provided in incredibly challenging economic times. As you said, we're the only economy or one of the very few in the world that has come out of the pandemic with more people employed, with an unemployment rate lower and with the economy larger than it was before we went into the pandemic. That's pretty unprecedented. Could it be a case that, and I'm a big Josh Feinberg fan, but could it be a case that the Treasurer and Treasury did too good a job, you know, because... It's quite possible we've overstimulated things, um, you know. And by the way, you would never know at the time when you're making these stimulatory you're making moves. These you, you, yeah. you know, they're made in emergencies. You know, they're never perfect um, in terms of the rollout and execution. You know, you get people to take advantage of it. You get rorting going on, all that sort of stuff. But nonetheless, it it was very good policy, JobKeeper, and all the stuff that followed it. Um, so, could it be a, a case that we did too good a job? And that now we're it's just a little bit too shiny, and as you say, we got to create a soft landing because we try to the government tried to create a soft landing when COVID hit. 
Now they've got to try to create a soft landing because of how well we've done. Yeah, that's and, true. And, that, and that's not a criticism of the government. But could it be a matter that – and tell me why you think the government, the current government, the coalition, the Liberal Party and the Nationals are better at being able to – Manage that soft that soft landing. If indeed we get confronted with, the yeah. So look, I'd, I think I'd say that. I mean, and firstly, when we're going into the pandemic, I mean, you know, Treasury and the Reserve Bank were forecasting unemployment in Australia would hit fifteen percent. Um, so this was the sort of abyss we were facing. And if we did allow unemployment to reach that level and huge numbers of businesses to fail, which would have happened, we would be dealing with this huge overhang now of you know failed businesses, people out of work, uh, huge debt overhang. And the experience of previous recessions, you know, be it the late 80s, early 90s one or the 82, 83 one, is that it can take several years to get the unemployment rate back down to where it was before you went into it. We've done remarkably. I mean, in two years, the unemployment rate is beneath where it was before. But you're right, the, the risks out there now are sort of inflationary pressures. And I think what we've got to do to control them is firstly remove the fiscal stimulus, which we've done by winding back JobKeeper by getting more people back to work and off welfare benefits and whatnot. Uh, we've got to make sure that wage demands don't get out of control and the government has a say in that because we make submissions to the Fair Work Commission which sets the awards and whatnot. Um, look, Labor's a party of the trade unions and they're always going to argue for more ambitious and higher wage increases because their members demand it and we need to be careful that we don't let wage growth get out of control. Uh, and the last thing we need to do... Um, which we're committed to doing is alleviate some of the workforce shortages because they're creating inflationary pressures in Australia and that means bringing Australians back in and that's why we've increased, that's why we've been in a rush to get our borders open in a safe way but we've been making sure that that happens sooner. Uh, we're increasing the skilled migration uh, intake as well. We're trying to get students back who are part of the casual workforce here, uh, working holiday makers because that will alleviate some of the workforce shortages and at a state level we're trying to get um, and this is discussed last night, the close contact measures, if you like, that if you're a close contact of someone, you've got to check yourself out of the workforce for a week. We're trying to make sure that that's sensibly risk-adjusted now because at the moment it's still causing huge disruptions to businesses because someone's had been a close contact, they've got to stop handling the baggage at the airport for a week or they've got to stop working at Port Botany for a week. That's slowing things down as well. So those are all the things we've got to do to make sure we alleviate some of these bottlenecks in our economy Um remove fiscal stimulus in a progressive way uh, and make sure that we control inflation. So what, what does Dave Sharma want? Assuming you get re-elected into the seat of Wentworth, what is it you want for our community? What do you want for Wentworth? In short, I want a um, you know, better quality of life for people in Wentworth. We've got a good quality of life here but I want um, you know, more investment in transport infrastructure, more investment in hospitals and schools, um, better protection of our local environment, you know, parks, green spaces, the health of our oceans, more electric vehicle charging infrastructure, um, pushing to double the number of EV, triple the number of electric vehicle charging stations in Wentworth, public ones because a lot of people live in apartments to help accelerate that transition um, and then make sure that the people of Wentworth are you know, getting access to the same economic opportunities as the rest of Australia. So they've got good growth prospects, good employment prospects, good educational uh, opportunities. So it's a mix of the the local and, and the national. And in three years, three years having done this job, 
I've helped do things like um, expand the number of public high school places in Wentworth so people have more of a genuine choice about where to send their children. I'm now pushing for an upgrade to Randwick Boys and Randwick Girls High School to improve the quality of that school. Uh, I've helped get federal government money to rebuild um, the children's Sydney Children's Hospital at Randwick and create a new comprehensive children's cancer centre. I'm fighting for money for St Vincent's Hospital just down the road here to, to make that a centre of excellence for translational research. Uh, and I've also helped do things like, you know, build new cycleways, improve pedestrian crossings, improve road infrastructure at bottlenecks. And those are the sorts of things that an active local member of parliament that's plugged in to the government and plugged into the different levels of government. A lot of this stuff is state government and council as well. You need to work across all three because that's how you, you get things done. It's really easy. I don't want to sound too cynical here, but it's really easy if you're an independent. You can write blank checks all over the place. You can say, I promise this, I promise that, I promise that. But to actually deliver these things, is not. it's not a question of just putting out a press release or making a statement. You have to find all the levers you can. You have to hustle for money. You have to make the case to the state government. You have to get involved with the local council. You've got to go to the planning meeting. You've got to go to the, um, the expenditure review committee of the cabinet, all these sorts of things. It's quite it takes a bit of work to deliver on your promises and that's why I don't make my promises lightly but everything I do promise I intend to deliver on. Because the process is difficult. Yeah, it's not easy because, look, there's there's any number of good competing claims across Australia for anything, a new swimming pool, a new park, an upgraded railway station, a new public high school and you're competing with all those other parts of Australia saying I've got the best business case or this is going to be the best return on investment in a you know, social capital sense of things. Uh, and you need to know how the system works. It's not just a question of you go with your wish list and someone says, yeah, here's everything you, you said you wanted. Um, you, you can make these commitments to your electorate, but then convincing the government of the day to fund them or deliver them for you is a, is a whole other task. That's very interesting and I, I just, I, I've been trying to get Clive Palmer into the uh, podcast because I'd love to talk to him. But one of the things Clive Palmer's been saying, which, which I find extraordinary, um, I'm going to put a cap on interest rates for mortgages to 3% per annum. Like, I don't know, he, he, that, that statement he makes, I don't know, what's he going to tell me? I can't put my interest rate up. What about if, what about if money's costing me 4%? Exactly. And I've got to, I've got to, I've got to lend it to a, a, a consumer at a loss. That just doesn't make sense. Or is he asking, or is he suggesting the government's going to subsidise it, which is, again, a good example of what you're saying, I guess. It's easy to throw out these um, lollies on the table and say go for your life um, but vote for me mm. because the, the question then becomes can you execute? And then the, what they will do when they can't execute, they'll blame someone else. they say, well, the government won't let me do it. Yeah. Or, I, I, you know, this is ridiculous and uh, why can't Australians have an interest rate capped at 3% on mortgages? It's just, it doesn't make sense. I want to do two things here, Dave. I, I would like – I'm going to give you 30 seconds if you don't mind, uh, 30 seconds to give me why I should vote for Dave Sharma. And I'm, I'm in your electorate so why should I vote for you? Because I've got experience of getting things done. I've got uh, knowledge about how uncertain the world is right now from my time as a diplomat and I'll be one of the voices uh, around the Cabinet table and in the room making sure that Australia properly funds our Defence Forces and our National Security Services to keep us strong but protect our way of life. But I'll also be a voice for sound economic management, which this coalition government has got a record of um, providing, making sure that we address workforce shortages, keep a lid on inflation, improve housing affordability, keep more people's mortgages affordable. Uh, and lastly, because I can deliver for the local community. I'm, I'm here, 
I'm accessible. Um, when people come to me with problems, I can help them address it and solve it. And that's really what you want from a local member, someone who's an advocate but also someone who knows how to get things done. And that's what I'm able to do for the people around with as part of a big team, as part of a government uh, because I'm a big believer that you always get more done as part of a team than you do operating solo and that's my proposition to voters in Wentworth. And if I ask you to tell me why I shouldn't vote for the independent that's uh, spending a lot of money, television advertising, she must have a much bigger budget than you, um, I've seen her advertising Channel 7, I'm pretty sure. Um, that, that's expensive stuff. Why would I, why should I not vote for an independent? Not in, I'm not calling this particular individual out. I'm, I'm not playing the purse. I'm just yep. playing the ball. But why should I not vote for an independent in Wentworth? Well, look, I think a, f- a few things. Firstly, an independent doesn't offer you policies across the board. And it's true of these independents. They've got nothing to say about the economy. They've got nothing to say about national security. They've got nothing to say about inflation. They've got a few issues that they run on. Um, but they've got nothing to say about the big challenges facing Australia. And if you want your voice represented on the big challenges facing Australia, you shouldn't vote for an independent. But the second thing I'd say is that ultimately if you conduct a thought experiment and said let's elect 151 independents, so the whole House of Representatives in the Australian Parliament is filled with independents, everyone going in a different direction, everyone with their own set of priorities, everyone with their own set of demands, do you think the country would be well governed? And I think the answer is a resounding no. If you want the country to be well-governed and stable and you want the government to be able to respond to crises, you need to put a team in charge that says we've got a suite of policies across all these issues and we can get legislation done in parliament. If we'd had independence holding the balance of power through this pandemic, we would have had a really hard time getting JobKeeper in place quickly, uh, closing the borders quickly, introducing support measures um, for businesses, putting in place public health orders. If we didn't control the parliament because independents did, every one of them would have had their own ragtag set of demands that I'll only support this if you upgrade the bowling club in my electorate or I'm only going to sign on to this if you know you build a new swimming pool for me. That's no way to run a country. And I think we would be well, ill-served as a country um, by having independents play an outsized role in our political life. Dave Sharma, good luck in the upcoming election, mate. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Great to talk to you. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistance, Jonathan Leondis. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.